Hey guys, it's Tim, and this is Pro Wrestling Unlimited, as we are here on the 29th of May, 2022, to talk about everything that went down tonight on AEW Double or Nothing. The Double or Nothing pay-per-view, I thought, was... It's a tough one, because I thought there was a lot more good than bad, but I felt like there was a little bit more bad than the really... And maybe bad's the wrong word, but bad than there should have been on this show. A little bit more not good than there really should have been on this pay-per-view. And we'll get into all of that in a little while. I mean, out of the 13 matches, and yes, there were 13 matches on this show, and this show did feel long. I feel like most of the matches were pretty good and entertaining. A couple of the matches really didn't vibe with me, and that's just my opinion. My opinion is not going to be the same of everybody else. And some of the matches where I thought they were going good early kind of got dragged out and were too long for what they needed to be. But with that, I know you're probably going to ask the question, why are you still live on YouTube and Twitter? I thought you were moving everything exclusively to Twitch. Well, we will be, but I never got. So I filled out all the paperwork. We were... Uh, Asked to join the uh, Twitch Sports Accelerator program. I filled all the paperwork out, but haven't got that final boom, you're in yet. And since we haven't got that final boom, everything is approved, you're in yet, that means we are still currently technically allowed to stream on both Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube all at the same time. So that is why I can be on Twitter right now, or Twitter and YouTube, because officially Twitch hasn't given me the shut it down on the other side stuff email. They've gave me the all right, you're accepted, fill out this contract, then we will give you the all good after you fill out the contract. So I'm waiting on the all good from the contract being filled out, and because I haven't got that all good, that means we can be still on YouTube for the time being right now. Now, I could have just moved everything to Twitter or Twitch now to try and condition you guys for the future, but I thought, you know what? This is such a big pay-per-view, this was such a big show, and I can still do YouTube right now, We'll do YouTube for you guys that do want to still watch over there. So that's the thing going on with that. But eventually, once I do get that green light and halt everything else from Twitch, everything will be moving over. But right now, the actual 100% start date is not known yet at the moment. I think what I'm going to start doing is just to get you guys used to Twitch, I think Mondays and Fridays, the wrap-up will be only on Twitch, but we will still do until we can't anymore. We will still do the the reviews on both Twitch, Twitter, all right, on all Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube until Twitch tells me to shut those down. But I think I will do just the wrap-up only on Twitch to get you guys used to, hey, only on Twitch. So a slow rollout is, I think, the plan for right now. But with that, if you are watching on Twitch, you can help us out a couple of different ways. You can help us out by hitting that donate button down below or donating Twitch bits in the live chat. Also, remember, you can help us out by subscribing to the channel one of two different ways. You can either subscribe with a tiered subscription or you can subscribe with Amazon Prime. Because remember, if you have Amazon Prime, you take that Prime account, you take that Twitch account, you link them together, bada bing, bada boom, you're Prime Gaming. Prime Gaming gives you a lot of cool things like free games. Gives you free stuff for games, and it always gives you one free subscription to any Twitch channel that you want to subscribe to. I'd greatly appreciate it if that one channel was right here, Pro Wrestling Unlimited.
But on the flip side, if you're watching over on YouTube, you can help us out over there as well with a super chat or a super sticker donation. Remember, all super chats do get read live on the air. Also, remember, you can hit that join button down below to become a channel member. As a channel member, you get early access to news, early access to podcast episodes, early access to non-news videos, and so much more. But if you say, yeah, but I don't want to give any money to YouTube, and I know sometimes it's hard to find the member-only stuff on YouTube, well, you can always head over to patreon.com forward slash PWUnlimited. Head over to Patreon and subscribe over there. And that way, well, it more directly supports us, and it's a more concise, easy-to-find-everything way if you are subscribed at, a, at tier two or above, you will get our, actually you do get, cause it's already up, our double or nothing graphics package. So all the graphics you've seen us use here throughout the months for AEW double or nothing 2022, those are now available for you guys to actually use. Next week, I will be putting up my um, WWE Hell in a Cell graphics package as well for you guys to use at your leisure as well. And finally, you wanna support us? Head over to the Epic Game Store. Head over to the Epic Game Store and buy something, whether that's a new game, an old game, a free game, or bucks for either Fortnite, Rocket League, or Fall Guys. It's gonna ask you, well, do you have credit code? And you do, it's right here. It's PW Unlimited. Again, that credit code is PW Unlimited. Use that on the Epic Game Store or certain Epic games and their launchers on the PlayStation, the Xbox, or the Nintendo Switch. But with that, we've got AEW Dynamite to talk about, and I did just get a message. Let me double-check this really quickly. Um, that is nothing. Um, and what is this one? Nothing as well. Okay, those are just from random stuff. But with that... The action kicked off on the buy-in. The action itself did kick off on the buy-in, where before we even had a match, we had the Acclaimed and the Gun Club come out. And basically, Max Caster did a rap. The Gun Club did some shtick. And Bowens called them ass boys. Nothing much really to talk about. But then we had the first match of the night. It was Hook, Housen, Hook and Dan Housen against the team of Tony Nice and Smart Mark Sterling. This match went, I want to say about five minutes and 20 seconds or so. No, five and a half minutes. I had that wrong. Five and a half minutes. The hook took Nice down right away, and the heels regrouped, though. Danhausen tagged in Nice and opened himself up for a headlock before leveling him with a shoulder tackle. Danhausen used evasive maneuvers and attempted a curse before hitting a diving Hurricane Rana and cursing Sterling. Feeling distracted, uh, distraction was enough for Nice to take out Dan Housen. There was a suplex from Dan Housen that allowed him to reach Hook for the tag. Um, someone says there is a... We'll get to it in a second. I, I see your comment. Fonzie, I'll check that here in a moment. Um, nice wanted to tag out, but Sterling dropped off the apron. Hook. This allowed Hook to hit repeated suplexes. Nice tagged himself out, and Hook... Took out Sterling with an overhead throw. Hook had Sterling beat, but opted to tag in Danhausen, who got the pin and picked up the victory. So with that, Hookhausen picks up the win here. And the question now is, do they remain a team? How long do these two actually remain an actual team in All Elite Wrestling? What are they going to do as a team? How do they act as a team? You know what I mean? Like, what is the plan for these two going forward as a tag team? 
Are they going to start getting ranked? Are they going to go for the tag titles eventually? I mean, I think a lot of fans would like to see these guys go for the tag titles. And I do see... There we go. I have a fix it. Let me save this so it fixes in the ticker. Thank you for that one, Fonzie. That is six. All right. That should be fixed in the ticker. Again, thank you, Fonzie, for letting me know I put an E at the end of Samoa Joe instead of an A. My bad. Damn dyslexia. Did not catch that. But yeah, fun match on the buy-in. But I know probably a lot of people were like, eh, I'll miss that. I'll skip that one. Then we got the main card. The big thing going into the main card is Dave Meltzer had tweeted about 35, 40 minutes before the show started, MJF Wardlow, 8 p.m., which 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, starting the show. And the whole day, actually for 24 hours, it was, okay, what's going on with MJF? Is he actually going to show up? Is he going to be here? What is going on? And so the show kicks off. Caliber welcomes us. And then we get, banana. And like he keeps playing. He's playing. And nobody comes out. No MJF. No nothing. No MJF. No MJF. No MJF. And then eventually MJF does make his way out to the ring. And as far as MJF being at the show, even though it was very highly in question, According to Fightful's Sean Ross Sapp, he did tweet out stating, quote, MJF claimed to us that he showed up shortly before his match, left right after, and has a lot to think about. So looks like, you know, all the claims of hour before the show, MJF has not been seen. Hour before the show, MJF has not been seen. Uh, 45 minutes before the show, MJF has not been seen. Seems justifiable. Because, well, he got there right when he was needed, basically. Got there right when he was needed, is what it seems like. And the match itself, not bad. I actually really enjoyed this match for what it was. I mean, we don't know if this was always the original plan. You know what I mean? If this was... Always the plan for Wardlow just to completely dominate and destroy MJF. But that's what it was. It was a complete domination and squash of MJF. As far as the match does go, MJF was booed out of the building during his entrance. They did cut to MJF. And MJF, where is my money sign? <clears throat> And there was a lot of different chants from the crowd, like, he showed up, there was chanting, he showed up, he showed up. And then at one point, Wardlow's in the ring. So Wardlow, great entrance here. They've been doing the whole Wardlow, no music. Wardlow, handcuffed. Wardlow, security down to the ring. And then the fans do the Goldberg, Wardlow, Wardlow. And so Wardlow gets in the ring, MJF jumps out. He starts circling the ring. Ain't circling. Ain't circling. And he's circling and he jumps up on the apron and the crowd starts standing. Please don't die. Please don't die. Please don't die. Please don't die. And it's like, whoo. Yeah. Well, kind of did die. The seven and a half minute match. And it was all Wardlow. It was all Wardlow. 
MJF powdered to the floor early, like I stated. Wardlow turned his back, and MJF took a shot. Wardlow shrugged it off and set it for a powerbomb symphony, forcing MJF to escape again. Wardlow stopped a sunset flip attempt and got MJF up for a powerbomb, but MJF bit his way out of it. Wardlow shrugged off more strikes until MJF poked his eyes. Um, it says I spelled MJF. No, it's or MLF. No, it should say MJF in the ticker. We'll see it when it comes through. But I just literally saw it. It says MJF. We'll double check that. Um, Wardlow <clears throat> caught MJF in a powerbomb position on a leapfrog attempt. MJF turned it into a Hurricane Rana pin and you know, got a two off of it. Wardlow and then kicked out and MJF sold his knee as if he was injured. MJF then went to put on the, this was kind of a dumb spot. I really didn't like this. So MJF is on his knees and he goes in his trunks and he's like, and he's putting the ring on, and freaking Bryce Remsburg standing right here, Wardlow standing right here behind him, and they're just like, hey, we're watching you. Hello, we see you putting the ring on. And I'm like, uh-huh. I didn't like that spot at all. I thought that was just a little too much. Or it's like, I gotta use the ring. And they're just sitting there watching him put it on, like, we see you, you're not hiding anything. I was like, eh. MJF. Acted like a spoiled brat here at one point. MJF offered to quadruple Wardlow's pay, and they shook on it. But then Wardlow wouldn't let go. Wardlow started the, the Powerbomb Symphony. Five Powerbombs later, Wardlow went for the pin, but one, two, he let it go. After five Powerbombs, or five more, and a total of ten, Wardlow pinned MJF and picked up the victory. After the match... MJF was stretchered out of the building with a actual um, neck brace on. Then it was weird. They went to put like oxygen mask on his face, but Dr. Samson put it on his nose and over his eyes for some reason. That was kind of weird. He stretched him out and Wardlow stood in the ring all like with no music playing. Still no music. On the ramp, Tony Schiavone then announced Wardlow. He said, according to Tony Khan, Wardlow is officially all elite. So, a lot of people did not like how much of a squash this was. And the big question that I got asked was, was this the, always the plan of the match? Or did they change the plan to this big of a squash because of what MJ did, MJF did yesterday? And that is something I don't know. And I don't know if and when we'll find that out. Like, I, I think, and like, I don't think, I basically, like, it was a foregone conclusion. Wardlow winning was always the only move they can do. There was never another, another way out of this. Wardlow always had to win this match. But was there ever a plan for MJF to get a little more out of this match, if you know what I mean? To not get so squashed and just looked just inferior, I guess you could say. To Wardlow. Like I said, we had Caprice Coleman join commentary. And I missed the first about minute and a half to two minutes of this match because my internet glitched out. And I literally had to unplug it, plug it back in, wait like a 90 seconds or whatever. Like my internet glitched right as they were saying Caprice Coleman's on commentary. And then I'm like, whoa, everything froze up. And then I noticed like the red light on my, my router box. So I unplugged it really fast, plugged it back in, waited the 30, or 60 to 90 seconds. Now it's back up. So I missed the entrances where apparently 
Jeff Hardy just did not seem right. And something happened at the beginning, and I wasn't able to rewind it. But um, this was the Hardys against the Young Bucks. Match went about almost 19 minutes, about 18 and a half to 19 minutes. So the match, I guess you could say, started off the match. They performed counter-wrestling until the younger brothers tagged in. and uh, Jeff and Nick went back and forth until Nick rolled to the floor and regrouped with the cutter. Nick tripped upon re-entry, and the Hardys took out his brother. Crowd chanted Brandon Cutler, so Nick went out and shoved him in anger. Matt Hardy took out Matt Jackson with a clothesline and a suplex. The Hardys dropped Nick, Nick on his brother. Nick countered a step-up attack and an enziguri before landing a super kick on Matt Hardy. The Bucks isolated Jeff and beat him down with frequent tags. Jeff came back with a double clothesline, but Cutler pulled his brother off the apron, stopping Jeff from making the tag. Jeff avoided a whisper, uh, yeah, Jeff avoided a whisper in the wind attempt from Matt Jackson and fired back well with one of his own. Matt Hardy got the tag and repeatedly drove the Bucks face first into the turnbuckle. He then did the same to Cutler before hitting a side effect on Nick for a two. Matt sent Hardy to the floor. Nick sent Matt Hardy to the floor, I mean, and hit an X-Factor on Jeff before we got a short parade of moves from everyone. Hardy looked for a springboard, but Nick super kicked him off the ropes onto his fellow Hardy brother. Nick then landed a flipping senton onto both Hardys. Bucks hit the risky business on Matt and got a two off of it. Nick then inadvertently hit his brother with a rising knee, then inadvertently cracked Cutler in the face out on the floor. Jeff landed a diving shoulder block on Nick as Matt, Matt Hardy that is, hit a side effect on the apron. The Hardys hit poetry in motion and Matt Jackson countered a twist of fate by slingshotting Matt Hardy into his brother. But Jeff countered on the top with a jawbreaker. This was a really cool move, but at this point, Jeff seemed very out of it. Like, very out of it. And this jawbreaker spot was very risky. Very risky. Matt Jackson avoided a swanton bomb and hit a twist of fate followed by a uh, Nick twist of fate for a very close near fall. Jeff Hardy then avoided a BTE trigger as the Bucks cracked their knees together. The Bucks recovered and flat, uh, flattened both Hardys with super kicks. As the Hardys knelt, the Bucks laid in repeated uh, super kicks. They flipped off the Bucks and the Hardys kicked out at two when both tried to go for the pin, both Bucks. The Bucks then turned the steel steps on their side and perched Jeff on them, but Matt popped up and hit a BT bomb on Nick. Jeff placed Matt Jackson on the steel steps and landed a just devastating-looking swanton bomb from the top rope to the steps on the floor onto Matt Jackson. Oh, and when and the way Jeff's doing the swanton now is where he just dead weights right on top of you. That did not had to not feel good for Matt Jackson. Inside the ring, Matt Hardy hit a twist of fate for a close near fall. Nick cradled Matt Hardy, and Hardy came back with a side effect and a twist of fate. Jeff climbed the ropes and landed a swanton before picking up the victory. So with that, the Hardys defeat the Young Bucks. In a pretty good match, but most of this match, Jeff really just seemed out of it, and I don't know why. Then we got a weird video with the acclaimed and the gun club. They're partying in Vegas. Cut to Billy Gunn, finding them all and disappointed. Um, Hobber Bubba, I said BT Bomb. Did I not? I said BT Bomb. Then we had our first title match of the night. 
It was the TBS championship, Jade Cargill versus Anna Jay. The match went, I want to say about seven and a half minutes, and it went about six minutes too long. Match did not need to go this long, and this match was way more about everything other than it being a title match. This match being a title match, a thousand percent irrelevant. Like a thousand percent irrelevant that this was actually a TBS title match. And I hate when this happens. I hate when you have a title match and the title is like fifth fiddle, fifth string. The last thing anybody remembers. Oh, this was a title match, huh? But this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. And oh yeah, it was a title match. This was terrible, and it didn't need to even happen. So it was Jade Cargill and Anna Jay. Jay went for the King Queen Slayer early, and Cargill returned fire with a fallaway slam. Cargill dominated briefly before Jay hit a super superplex. Anna Jay hit a hard lariat, but Cargill wouldn't go down. So a top row blockbuster finally took down Cargill. Cargill rode to the floor to prevent the pin. On the floor, Jason uh, and Jason Cargill into the steel steps. The baddies, Kira Hogan and Red Velvet, tried to get involved, but Jay DDT'd both of them. Back in the ring, Cargill went for the jaded, but Anna Jay turned it around and landed a thrust kick. This then led to Smart Mark Sterling coming out carrying his buy-in, uh, carrying a crutch from the buy-in, and he distracted the official. Yet Anna Jay would grab the crutch and hit a Russian leg sweep. Uh, on to Jade Cargill. Out came John Silver, Johnny Hungy, and he hit Sterling with a brain buster on the floor. Back in the ring, Cargill just fine and hit an eye of the storm for a near fall after getting Russian leg sleeped with the damn crutch. Uh, Anna Jay countered a Jaded into a Queen Slayer sleeper, but Jade powered out of it. They jockeyed for position for a little bit on the top rope, and then, well, the former Malcolm Bivens, Stokely Hathaway. Walked out and distracted Anna Jay. This allowed Jade Cargill to hit a top rope jaded and pick up the victory. So after the match, Chris Statlander would run out and confront Cargill and the baddies. This would then lead to the former Ember Moon, Athena, making her way out, making her AEW debut, and, well, evening up the odds. So it was on one side, Jade Cargill, Red Velvet, Kira Hogan. On the other side, it was Anna Jay, Chris Statlander, Athena. So, Stokely Hathaway seems to be now with Jade. No more Mark Sterling. I don't know if Mark Sterling is going to be with anybody else. Tony Nice, MJF, he's his lawyer, but he's no longer with Jade, it seems like. And it was officially announced that both Athena and Stokely Hathaway are all elite. I thought there was way too much going on in this match. And like I said earlier, so much so that in the end, you forget that there was a title match. You completely forget that if you didn't remember that Jade was the TBS champion, you would completely forget that this was a TBS title match. We had a video package hyping up uh, Forbidden Door, the AEW New Japan show. We then got some cool entrances from the House of Black and the Death Triangle. Death Triangle came out with Alexander Hantis and Penta Escuro's son. Back wore a half Penta, half Phoenix mask, which was really cool. And House of Black, all three, had their face painted. If you guys haven't heard, 
I fucked up my foot last weekend. It's completely blistered up. Well, not blistered up, but it's very burnt. You guys do not want to see it. And so it itches a lot. And so it's really bugging me. Like, it itches to the point where I feel like something's crawling on it. And so I got to scratch it. If you see me, like, making weird faces, it's because my foot is really bothering me. It feels the best when I have it elevated, but my desk area, I, there's nowhere for me to elevate the foot. But this match was really, really fun. It was a great, I said it on Twitter, this match is a great, great, great change of pace after that terrible mess we had right before this. So, this match was awesome. Six-man tag, trios, whatever they want to call it. And Phoenix and Black started it off with a back-and-forth counter-exchange. They avoided each other's signature moves. And the heel, uh, they avoided each other's signatures. And Athens and Penta then finally tagged in going back and forth. With the latter getting the better of the exchange. Pack then entered the match and had a face-off with the giant Brody King. King sent Pack to the floor and set it for a big dive. But the trio, the two trios faced off in the middle of the ring before it all broke down. House of Black isolated Penta on their side of the ring, and Matthews took him out with a diving meteora. I loved that there was a sign in the crowd that said, Make Buddy M get tattoos. I loved that sign. It popped Nick. I sent Nick a picture of it after it got tweeted out. And he, he died. He laughed so hard. He LOL'd tremendously. Anyways, all I said, Matthews took out Penta with a diving meteor, but Pac cut him off with a poison Rana and a running lariat. King then flanded pa Pac with a black hole slam. House of Black isolated Pac on their side of the ring. Pac avoided a corner cannonball from, the, uh, from King and reached Phoenix for the hot tag. Phoenix fought off Black and Matthews on his own before he and his brothers hit simultaneous thrust kicks on Matthews. They then landed simultaneous Tope Congrios on the House of Black. A triple team splash on King got a two. Phoenix called for a suplex on King, but instead launched him off of the uh, off of the drop kick. Matthews blocked a suicide dive and hit a suplex on the floor. Pack landed a Fosbury flop on Matthews. Black hit an Orihari moonsault on Pack. Penta hit a dive on his own that left King, who sort of landed the Tope Kong Kyo, but yeah, like, Brody King does a flip dive over the top rope and doesn't really make it past the top rope. I thought he cracked, was going to crack his head on the apron. So, so happy he didn't. Because basically, like, say my fingers are the ropes. He does the, hold on, hold on, hold on. Actually, I could do it. Pretend this is Brody King, right? These are the ropes. He runs. Actually, how do I do this? They need the apron there. So this finger out a little bit is the apron. How about we do that? We do that. So he runs, and then he just flips right over. But he just kind of like rolls over, and his head, like I thought it hit the apron because he barely just like kind of rolled over the ropes and then goes down like this rink. I thought he cracked his head on the rope on the apron, but luckily he didn't. He was fine. Back in the ring, the house of black crushed Phoenix with the Dante's Inferno, but death triangle broke up the pin. Death triangle came back and hit each, uh, each with a thrust kick 
Pack hit a uh, sheer drop brain buster on Black, but Matthews broke up the pin. Penta stepped up and jumped off his brother and hit a destroyer on the apron. Then the Lucha Bros hit a footstomp DDT combo on King on the floor. Black was alone in the ring against the Death Triangle and ate three thrust kicks. The Lucha Bros wanted to stop, wanted the footstomp pile driver combo, but Black countered and hit a spin kick on Phoenix. Pack cut Black off and set up for a Black Arrow. Matthews stopped him. Pack recovered and hit a springboard 450 slash on Matthews over Matthews onto Black. Pack then dispatched Matthews and crushed Black with a snap German suplex. Alex Abrahantes then distracted the official and Pack kicked Black low. Pack then got to the top rope and set up for the Black Arrow when the lights would go out. When the lights came back on, Julia Hart was standing in the corner. She looked straight up at Pack and spit the black mist in Pac's face. Black then hit a spinning kick that knocked Pac off the top rope and pinned him to pick up the victory. Julia Hart is now part of the House of Black. She has now joined them. She has now joined the dark side. I saw this coming eventually, but I did not, and I repeat, did not see this coming tonight at all. After the match, all, I guess you could say now, four members of the House of Black celebrated on the ramp. I thought the match was fun, but maybe a little longer than it needed to be. I thought it got stretched just a little bit. A little too long. But, in the end, I did like it. I did think it was a really fun, entertaining match. So next up, we had our first of the Owen Hart Cup matches. It was the men's Owen Hart's final. Adam Cole... And Samoa Joe, this match went 12 and a half minutes. Match was solid, but it didn't feel any more special than just a random match from Dynamite. It really just felt like, I get why it's on the pay-per-view, but it could have been on Dynamite. That's how it felt to me. It didn't feel like some grandiose, this is like Adam Cole, Samoa Joe, trying to outshine everybody on the pay-per-view kind of match, at least in my opinion. But I did have two other people tell me the same thing. Like, ooh, kind of felt like a, a TV match. Early on, Joel peppered Cole with right hands early on. I said that twice. I don't know why. He dominated Cole. And down, uh, he dominated Cole in the ring with various strikes. He brought Cole to the floor and continued to beat him down until Cole stopped Joe in his tracks with a super kick as Joe was about to, like, just destroy him in the into the, uh, the barricade. And then drove Joe... He then drove Joe shoulder first into the ring and into the ring post. Cole then dismantled Joe's left arm until Joe countered a Panama Sunrise attempt and drove Cole's knee into the mat. Cole cut down Joe with an enziguri, but Joe planted him onto uh, planted him on a corner attack. Joe hit a running crossbody for a two and then a snap power bomb for two more. After a brief bit of offense, Joe leveled Cole with a lariat for yet another counter. Joe, at this point, tried to set up for the muscle buster, but Cole fought out and hit a running high kick for a two. He followed up with a brain buster for two more. Joe then fought out of a cross-face attempt and hit a powerbomb before transitioning into an STF. Cole had to fight to reach the ropes, but did force the break. Bobby Fish then ran down and wrenched Joe's arm over the top rope. I did not like this. I did not like that there was interference in this match. I thought that if you wanted the Owen Hart tournament to seem prestigious, to seem important, to seem like it's something 
we need to see every week that there needs to be a clear-cut big-time winner that this is important. There should not have been any interference. I did not like that there was interference. Yo did avoid the boom and locked on a naked choke, but another distraction from Fish forced him to break it. Uh, Joe then flattened Cole with a chop, but then Cole came back with some super kicks before lowering the boom and picking up the victory. Again, I feel like Bobby Fish assisting Adam Cole here not only tarnished his win, but tarnished the importance of the win in this tournament, in my opinion. So Adam Cole wins, and then they let us know that, hey, there's that trophy and those titles up there on the top of the ramp. We will hear from Dr. Martha Hart after the next match, which is the women's finals, and then she'll present the winners with whatever the winners are getting. So first off, Britt Baker came out, and we had the guitarist Rich Ward from Fozzie, who played her theme. Then Justin Roberts goes, ladies and gentlemen... Rancid, and they had the entire band play Ruby's theme. I thought this was super cool. I loved that the entire band was there to play play her theme. It wasn't just like a couple members or like the singer singing it over a track. No, they had the entire band there to play Ruby's theme, which is awesome. Because if you don't know the song, you know, Ruby, 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 Soho. The lead singer of Rancid suggested that to Ruby after she was released from WWE going, you still want to be Ruby. You can be Ruby Soho and use our song. So I thought that was really cool. Unfortunately though, the match itself wasn't all that cool. And there was nothing really of note in this match. It actually went longer than the men's match. It went like 14 minutes or so. And it really could have been, a, it really could have been 10 it really could have been 10. Because, like, the first 10 minutes of this match, like, nothing happened. And they were kind of just, like, going through the motions. It got good towards the end. But it just felt like for the first, you know, three quarters of this match, they were going through the motions. Neither woman could really establish an advantage early on. Then Baker was quick to lay in some kicks. Soho returned fire with an arm drag and a clothesline before hitting a running drop kick on the outside. Uh, they landed... Uh, 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 Baker landed some strikes to Soho's ribs, which were injured, and Baker took advantage in the ring. Baker continued to target Soho's midsection, wrapping her around the ring post and taunting her a little bit. She, locked, um, she almost locked on a grounded octopus, Soho powered out. Baker then downed her with a forearm smash. He fought on the top rope for a moment, where Soho got the upper hand and hit a superplex. He traded forearms in the center of the ring and ended up with a double down spot. They traded forearms in the center of the ring, leading to a double... Oh, I already read this. Uh, uh, they both teased hitting big moves until Soho hit a back suplex. He climbed the top rope and landed a senton for a two. Let's see that. Uh, where was I? Once again, they jockeyed for position on the top rope, and Baker dumped her down 
and hit a curb stomp for a very close near fall. He put on the glove and called for the lockjaw, but Soho rolled out of it. Baker caught Soho and went for it again, and she struggled again. Soho transitioned into a pinning attempt, which eventually led to Baker having to let go of the hold and the kick out, whatever. She then hit the no future, Soho that is, and then locked on a sharpshooter, which wasn't even a damn... She, so she goes to lock on this sharpshooter, almost falls on her face, and it's literally... She's got the, the leg kind of wrapped, but she's just sitting on Brit, not wrenching. She's not, you know, tweaking the back like you're supposed to for a sharpshooter. She's just sitting on Brit's butt with the legs kind of tied up. And Brit's over here trying to sell this move that doesn't look painful at all. That doesn't look like a legit, it's going to hurt sharpshooter. Like Ruby, need a little help putting this sharpshooter on. Someone should have showed her beforehand. Hey, you can't just sit down on a sharpshooter. You got to, like, bend the knees, pull, and stretch the back of Baker. It's not about wrapping the, the you know, the legs up and then just, ah, ah I'm going to hold it. This was not good at all. Not good at all. And Baker just didn't look good trying to scratch and claw and fight out of it. I get maybe the way, like, it was hard for her to get out of it because Ruby's leg was just sitting on her. And so she was literally pulling the entire weight of Ruby halfway across the ring or whatever. But this sharpshooter looked bad. After a long fight, Baker did finally make it to the ropes. Soho landed a victory roll, but Baker turned it into a cradle and just boom, it was over. Picked up the victory. And after the match, Adam Cole came back out with a... Owen Hart Cup tournament shirt on. He handed one to Britt Baker, and they introduced Dr. Martha Hart. I did like before uh, Martha came out, Britt hugged Tony Schiavone, and Adam Cole kind of walked up and like gave Schiavone a, uh, a stink guy like, hey, get off my woman. I did like that for a second, but Dr. Martha Hart came out with Tony Khan. Khan gave her a, cheek, a kiss on the cheek, and then this just went way too long. So Martha thanked the crowd for the warm welcome. And then the crowd just starts going, thank you, Martha. Thank you, Martha. Thank you, Martha. She said that the tournament was to celebrate the craftsmanship and the skills of her late husband. Finally, he can be celebrated within the squared circle. She thanked AEW, the competitors, her children, the foundation committee, and the fans for making the tournament a success. Hart then congratulated the winners and said that for next year's tournament, she wants to see everyone wearing a beautiful hat like the extravagant one she was. And no, she looked like she was from like the old 1800s. This hat was worse than the Lacey Evans hats she used to wear. The list goes on and on and on and on. And finally, she gives Adam Cole and Britt Baker respective championship belts that look like the old Stampede Wrestling Championship belt. She also grabs the trophy and kind of waves it around and then just puts it down. I don't know what the trophy's for, but Adam Colbert Baker each respectively got belts. And that's what they get for winning. When, that, when Tony Khan was asked by Sean Ross Sapp on the media call, hey, uh, so what are the winners going to get? Belts? Are they going to get a trophy? Are they going to get a medallion? What are they going to get? And Tony Khan just goes, well, I can't tell you that right now. It'll be revealed at the pay-per-view. It was just a belt. I mean, it was cool that it literally looked just like 
the old Stampede Wrestling NWA belt. But he could have just said, it is a very special commemorative belt. Could have said that. But I felt like this whole Martha Hart thing was kind of just like there. And one of the weaker points of the show. Because the way Martha was talking, it was really a stick it to WWE. I let this company use Owen's name and likeness. I'm sticking it to you. Because she was like, he can finally be celebrated in the squared circle. You know, I want to thank AEW, their producers, and everybody for really showing showing Owen the, the love that he deserved for what he did. And I'm just like, really? You got to try and stick it to WWE? She even thanked Chris Jericho and the um, producers of Dark Side of the Ring. Then we had a mixed trios match. It was American top team, Scorpio Sky, Ethan Page, and Paige Van Zandt, and Sammy Guevara, Frankie Kazarian, and Ty Conti, which there's more to this match that didn't take place on the show. It took place kind of on Twitter even after, so we'll get to that in a minute. And this match was very, we're going to be sports entertainment. We're going to hide Paige Van Zandt and her flaws. And yeah, so men of the year or yeah, men of the year and Paige come out for their entrance. Then Sammy Guevara and Scorpio Sky basically take the Cody elevator up and Ty Conti's dressed with the Maleficent horns on. They both got big capes. Ty's wearing some UFC belt. Sammy's wearing the BMF belt. Cool. Match starts because Arian and Sky faced off. Guevara tags himself in, and Paige joined him and downed him with a back elbow. He went for the Eagles' edge early, but Guevara turned it into a Hurricane Rana and a drop kick. Paige then pressed Guevara up and hit a power slam for a two. Guevara regained control, but he and Kazarian had some miscommunication a little bit on the tag, allowing Sky to beat him down. Conti then racked Sky's back, allowing Guevara to hit a jumping cutter. Guevara tried to get on the same page as Kazarian, and they worked together to isolate Sky a little bit. There was a distraction from Paige that allowed Sky to hit a flatliner, but Conti knocked Van Zant off the apron before she went to go for the tag, or could go for the tag. Guevara and Conti then celebrated in the ring, but Kazarian wanted the tag. Guevara was just completely healing it up. Kazarian started to get frustrated and actually shoved Sammy. Sky finally escaped out of the ring and reached Van Zant for her first action of the match. She took down Conti and laid in some ground and pound before hitting a clothesline. Then hit a back uh, back handspring elbow. Van Zant wanted the TKO, but Guevara broke it up. So Van Zant landed a body shot and a tilt to world DDT. Same one that we saw her do on her TikTok. She then sent Conti. Face first into Guevara's junk, then hit a Michinoku driver for a two. Conti came back with a judo takedown and a bicycle kick. After a back and forth exchange, Conti hit a knee face buster. Guevara and Conti made it out of the ring and ended up surrounded by America's top team. Kazarian opted to leave, and then uh, Kazarian opted to leave them high and dry. Guevara made one uh, made a one man comeback but gave Gazarian a chance to re-enter the ring with a slingshot cutter for a two. Guevara had had enough, but he inadvertently struck Conti, kicked her, allowing Sky to hit the TKO and pick up the victory. We pinned 
Kazarian. Brian Kazarian now, well, can never challenge for the TNT Championship as long as Scorpio Sky is still the champion. And I want to pull up a tweet here. Frankie Kazarian. So, let's do this and this and this. Looks like we may be getting some Frankie Sammy stuff. Tyconti tweets this out. Dude, Kazarian sucks. He lost the match, but we all won because this shit is finally over, assholes. I mean, did you really win? Your boy can no longer challenge for the title as long as Sky's the champ. Then Kazarian comments, well, quote tweets it going, Darling, your opinion and your rant Sammy do, your rat Sammy doesn't mean jack shit to me. I'd propose a rematch, but I know the word propose doesn't mean doesn't sit well with you all. Good night, dumbass. I'm like, oh damn. Oh damn. If you don't get the joke there, if you don't get the reference there, remember, last like October, Sammy proposed to his girlfriend. In a dynamite ring. And October, November, just two months later, he was with Ty Conti. On New Year's Eve, they finally revealed, yeah, you guys were right all along. We are dating. Like, he made his big, grandiose gesture to propose to his girlfriend in the ring in front of the crowd on TV. And then broke up with her and got with Ty Conti. Two months later. Magma Lord, you tell him. It's scripted, not real. I tell since Saturday that all the time. So I, I assume, you know, assuming means, but it's very pretty obvious. This is going to lead to something like a dynamite match or whatever. Sammy, maybe a rampage match. Sammy and Kazarian. We then had a 10 and a half minute match. Darby Allen, Kyle O'Reilly. This is exactly all it needed to be. Not everything was perfect, but this match being about 10 minutes was like, this couldn't have been much better. A couple little things could have been a little crisper. Like Darby not almost breaking his neck like he does all the time, but even worse this match. Other than that, this match getting 10 minutes and going 10 minutes and being pretty dang good. I thought this was one of the more just like solid Overall matches of the night. Early on, O'Reilly dominated Allen from the jump. He landed a sick knee right to the face. Like Darby jumped at him. He just knee right up into the face. He went for the arm bar. They showed a replay of the knee and it definitely landed. It definitely caught Darby in the face. Allen came back with a shotgun drop kick and a code red for a two. He chopped at O'Reilly's leg and hit a scorpion death drop. Allen landed an east strike of his own and sent O'Reilly to the floor. Tried to follow this up with one of his ridiculous topes and totally messed it up and came up short. So he runs, right? He's running, 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 dives. As he leaps through the ropes, he, cut, he clears the, the ring in the apron and all that. He spins his body and his neck hits the ground like this. I thought he broke his freaking neck. This was 
Whoa. Whoa. Bad. And he was a little short on it, but overall he still kind of sold it like he barely got him and knocked him into the, 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 the barricade. Uh, also, at this point, Allen came up bleeding from the mouth, went for the tope again, and O'Reilly caught him and turned it into a guillotine on the floor. Upon reentry into the ring, Allen hit a top row Frankensteiner and locked on the last supper, pinning a uh, pinning predicament for a near fall. Didn't get the whole thing, though. O'Reilly came back with a stiff shot and hit a verti uh, vertical brain buster for a two. He went for the cross-arm breaker again, but couldn't quite get it in. Allen then transitioned it and turned it into a scorpion deathlock. Allen hit a dragon screw over the ropes and landed a coffin drop as O'Reilly was caught. Back in the ring, Allen went for another a coffin drop, but O'Reilly turned it into an arm bar. Allen finally cradled O'Reilly to force the escape. They hit each other with a uh, number of strikes, leading to a double down spot. O'Reilly choked Allen with his chain and landed a soccer kick, but Allen kicked out out of one. He then hit a second soccer kick for a two and a third and a diving knee to pick up the victory. So there we go. Kyle O'Reilly does defeat Darby Allen, and I saw someone go, man, Darby showing tribute to Owen even though he wasn't in the finals with that, with that sharpshooter. And I go, no, that's not showing tribute to Owen. That's an homage to Sting! Scorpion Deathlock. Some people just don't get it, man. So as we move forward, we had the second title match of the night, the AEW Women's World Championship on the line, Thunder Rosa versus Serena Deeb, and boy, did this match go long. Match was went, it was 16, almost 17 minutes. Felt longer, and this just, it was good technical wrestling, but it just did not click. I did not enjoy this match for the most part. I felt it was too slow. I felt it was too, like they were trying to keep a pace because they knew they were going over 15, and they don't want to tire themselves out early, but it was just too slow. So they performed some pretty good chain wrestling early, but it was more like squeeze the hands, shoulders, push. Squeeze the hand, shoulder the other one, push down for a while. How much? Just like in the other women's match, the Red Baker Soho match, not much happened in the first half of this match. So at one point, Thunder Rosa hits Dustin's drop down. Um, like uppercut deal and sent Deeb to the floor. Deeb avoided the baseball slide and whipped Rosa into the ring post, followed up with a neck breaker over the, over the ropes. Deeb then hit another neck breaker and got a two off of it. She used the ropes for leverage and continued to target Rosa's neck. Rosa powered out of a neck crank and they traded strikes in the center of the ring. Rosa got the upper hand and whipped Deeb face first into the turnbuckle, followed up with double knees and a running drop kick. Rosa then hit a Northern Light Suplex Bridge for a two. Deeb came back and locked on an octopus. Turned it into a flipping neckbreaker and only got a two off of it, though. Rosa countered a leg sweep attempt into a cross face, but Deeb cradled her right out of it. Not a bad sequence there. I liked that one. Deeb tried to lock on the stretch muffler, but Rosa fought out and smashed Deeb's knee against the mat. 
There was then another double down spot. Um, at one point, Rosa hit a diving double stomp to the back and the Fire Thunder driver for a near fall. Keep chopped at Rosa's leg and applied a figure four leg lock. He traded uh, slaps and Deeb hit a... Uh, Deeb had locked on some sort of a hold. I wasn't sure exactly what it was. Rosa rolled to the floor to break the hold upon re-entry. Deeb hit a dragon screw over the ropes. Deeb then hit the Deeb talks. But Rosa got her foot on the bottom rope at the very, very, very last millisecond. Deeb then went for the Serenity Lock and then opted to powerbomb. Hit a powerbomb before going for Texas Cloverleaf. Rosa reached the ropes to break the hold, though. Deeb wanted the Deeb talks again, but Rosa went for the cradle to break it up. Rosa then cracked Deeb with a high kick and then hit a superplex into a Fire Thunder driver to pick up the victory. I thought the finish looked really good, but for the most part, the match, just especially the first half, to me felt like nothing happening, just like in the Baker Soho match. And that happens a lot in women's matches that seem to go long, that they don't have them do much early and then they really rang, rang, like rev it up later on in the match. So then, we have probably the best thing of the show. Anarchy in the arena. Justin Roberts grabs the mic and says, Shit's about to hit the fan. What was that? outside just went oh yeah that was weird so jas come out and basically it's supposed to be the indoor version of stadium stampede and it's exactly what it was this was literally the crowd doesn't have to watch on a screen even though yes most of the crowd's gonna watch on a screen version of stadium stampede this is a we ain't got a big ass football field so let's just say it's not stadium stampede even though it is regardless this match was so much fun, so violent, so awesome. So JAS come out, and they allow the crowd to sing Judas, which kind of shocked me a little bit. Then, Wild Thing plays. Now comes Moxley and Danielson and Kingston and Santana and Ortiz. And as they're walking down, the JAS say, Brew it! And they jump into the crowd. And they go on the attack. And they're all brawling as we still hear wild thing. And the song's still playing over the freaking loudspeaker as all these guys are just going at it and going at it and going at it and going at it. And I'm just like, this is the coolest thing ever. They're just going to keep playing wild thing till like the track runs out. And then it sounds like it loops and starts over and just keeps on going and going and going. And I'm just like, Oh my God. And they start pairing off. And I'm just like, why is it Moxley and Jericho and not Moxley and Kingston? This whole thing was all built around. I mean, not Moxley Kingston, Jericho and Kingston, this entire match was built around the Moxley, not Moxley, Jericho-Kingston feud. And Jericho and Kingston basically did nothing to each other. Like, what? First to bleed, though, Matt Menard. And this, this goddamn saint of a man said, make me bleed, Eddie, as much as you can. Because quickly, this man 
was not only face covered in blood, but blood just dripping down him and all over Kingston. This man said, I'm going to bleed and make me bleed. So Matt Menard and Kingston were going at it as Jericho tried to escape on a scooter. Moxley locked him in a rear naked choke. Uh, Danielson. What is Chase Parker? They still call him Chase Parker or Angelo Parker? Angelo Parker. Danielson teed off with Angelo Parker. And I don't know what it was, but the way like Danielson had the tank top on and the hair down, he just looked like a complete badass ready to brawl. We had Santana and Ortiz out there with um, Hager at one point going at it in the ring. And keep in mind, while things still playing, Jericho finally smashes the soundboard onto Moxley that ends Wild Thing. Moxley, though, lands a double uh, uh, diving double sledge onto Jericho. Santana and Ortiz hit a street sweeper on Hager. Basically a... Well, not street... Well, yeah, they call it the street sweeper, but it's kind of like a blockbuster thing. Basically, this was wild. So I think it was Ortiz. I always get them mixed up for some reason, especially when they have the face paint on and their hair's the same. Like, they both got it kind of up. And hold on. Let's ban this person from the chat. I thought I did. Yeah, banned. All right. So, basically, I forget who it was. One of them, I think it was um, Ortiz, had Hager on his shoulders. Santana then runs, does like a flip over the ropes. Hits the blockbuster. They send Hager through two tables. They're all down, dying, dead. Moxley attacks Jericho with a camera. Kingston and Menard attack each other with mustard at the concession area. Danielson then sent Parker face first into the camera and then did it a couple more times. He starts bleeding. Garcia then hit a pile driver off the apron onto the steel steps. Practically everyone was bloody at this point. Parker smashed Danielson with the ring bell. Moxley then grabs the ice chest, opens it up to see what's in it. There's some water bottles and some ice. And he looks, first looks like he's going to do the whole, I'm going to run and hit Jericho with it. And then he just decides, you know what, screw it. And he just throws it right at Jericho's face. And Jericho's like, ah! Knocks him on his ass. Uh, Garcia and Kingston are still brawling in the concourse where Garcia hit a low blow and dragged Kingston with a belt tied around his neck. Jericho locked on the walls of Jericho on top of a table, which broke under the pressure. Moxley locked on a figure four on the ramp. Garcia hit a shining wizard over some furniture. Danielson laid in some yes kicks on Hager, but Hager suplexed him on the ramp. Moxley unhooked the entire top rope and low blowed Jericho with the turnbuckle. Um, there was more fighting over everywhere. Danielson and Moxley beat down Jager, uh, Jericho and Hager with the turnbuckles in the ring. Jericho then came back with a chair shot on Moxley, but Moxley returned fire with a regal knee. Hager applied an ankle lock on Danielson. 2.0 were set up on tables as Santana and Ortiz set up a very tall ladder. They both then climbed on both sides, jumped off the ladder on either side, crashing 2.0 through the tables. Jericho sprayed a fire extinguisher in Moxley's face. Moxley and Danielson and Jake, uh, Jake Hager and Chris Jericho exchanged forearms in the ring. The BCC, the Blackpool Combat Club, got the upper hand and laid in over, overhead elbows before locking on their respective submissions. Kingston then showed up on the ramp with a can of gasoline. 
and just walks into the ring like, it's nothing. And just goes like this, pouring the gas all over Jericho and Danielson. And Danielson kind of looks up at him like, what the hell are you doing? Leads to more brawling. Moxley tried to break Kingston and Danielson up. But Jericho hit everyone with a chair strike. Hager then sent Moxley backwards onto a barbed wire board, perched on a table, which didn't break. And then there was a Judas effect that wiped out Kingston. Jericho whacked Danielson with a turnbuckle pad. And Danielson kicked out of a great near fall. Danielson fought off Jericho and Hager with some yes kicks. He then hit a Busaku knee on Hager. He then hit it on Jericho through a chair for another great near fall. Crowd thought that was it. Thought Jericho was out. Done. No. Danielson laid in more kicks on Jericho before leveling him with a nice Tajiri-style buzzsaw kick. He tried to kick Jericho's head in, but Hager took Danielson out. Uh, took uh, took out Danielson with Floyd the Bat. Jericho then locked in the walls of Jericho as Hager grabbed the top rope, basically wrapped it around Danielson's neck and just pulled, choking Danielson. Eventually, Danielson passed out. The referee said, that's it, that's it, that's it. We're calling it. Done, done, done. Let go. The JAS pick up the victory with Brian Danielson passing out. I was a little let down that Kingston dropped gas on them and nothing happened with the gas. And Jericho never got to play the wizard. No fireballs. Jericho never got to play the wizard in this match at all. Which is also a little disappointing with the whole, I'm a wizard. I'm a wizard. Fireball. He's done it like two or three times. Two times, I think. And nothing. I saw the gas and I go, oh no, who's getting lit on fire with a Jericho fire? Nothing. No one. A little disappointed by that. But other than that, this match was so much fun. So different than anything else on the show. Highly appreciated how different it actually was. It was basically the, we don't have a football field attached to this building version of Stadium Stampede. Then we got to a pre-tape video because we know well Andrade ain't in Vegas. He just got married on Friday to Charlotte Flair or Ashley Fleer. He's in his office with Jose. He said that he wasn't here AEW to lose. The AFO, they're a bunch of losers. Jose, the assistant, had a contract ready. And there was a knock on the door. In would then come a former Ring of Honor World Champion, Rush del Toro Blanco. He performed the Ingobernables pose, and Rush seems to now be in all elite wrestling with Andrade. And I, I marked out for this going, oh my God, this is the perfect thing for Andrade. Him and Rush, a tag team? Oh my God, they're going to run through this division. They're going to be, because I've really, I've said it a couple times. Andrade kind of seems like an afterthought in AEW. Like they get ideas for him and never follow up on them. They always go like, we're going to push him. And it looks like they've got things to do with Andrade. And then nothing of nothing of it seems to materialize with Andrade. But now that they have Roosh, I'm like, yes. Yes. They're a tag team. Put them together. Give them a bunch of wins. Boom. Challenge for the tag titles. There we go. I think this is perfect for Andrade. 
Andrade has, in my opinion, been floundering in AEW. Because like I said, they always seem to come up with ideas that they never fully flesh out and follow up on and finish. Like, he's done some good, he's had some good matches and there's been some good things from Andrade. But nothing to me that ever feels like, all right, he did this. Now what's next for Andrade that's going to elevate him anymore? He's really, especially in the last like six months, you know, with all the Matt Hardy stuff and even after the Hardy stuff and, you know, he's felt really stagnant. And I'm glad that this is a complete change. Hopefully he just drops the AFO and it's just ingobernables. Ingobernables. All it needs to be. No AFO. Doesn't need the butcher and the blade. He doesn't need Angelico. He doesn't need the bunny. Doesn't need private party. He's just him and Roosh. Single Benables. Maybe they bring in Dragon Lee eventually. Maybe they get joined. Maybe something happens at at oh I got it. Ooh, I got it. 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 If any of these matches at Forbidden Door are AEW versus New Japan, we need Los Cinco Bonables against Los Cinco Bonables de Japón. We need like Andrade and Roosh against Naito and Sonata or Naito and Takahashi. Naito and Bushi. I think that would be great. Los Cinco Bonables against Los Cinco Bonables de Japón. There you go. It books. It books itself. Also, I think someone just sent me something from the scrums. Because the scrums are not allowed to be filmed or... um, What's the word I'm looking for? Filmed or... Streamed or anything anymore. Um... This person said that uh, Tony Khan was asked about MJF. He said he will not comment on the MJF situation at the post-show scrum. That's interesting. That's very interesting. Tony Khan says that he will make no comment regarding MJF on the scrum. See if there's anything else here really fast. Uh, Chris Jericho was at there. Jade Cargill was there. Uh, CM Punk said he would like to face at Forbidden Door... Okada, Tanahashi, Osprey. Guy CM Punk wants to face as a champion in AEW. Brian Danielson, John Moxley, Jungle Boy, Ricky Starks. Jungle Boy, Ricky Starks. Ricky Starks is great. He's not considered a pillar, but I think in due time, Ricky Starks is gonna is gonna, you know, maybe not break away from Team Taz, but be like a guy of Team Taz to really break out. Uh, CM Punk also said, as the face of AEW, he's going to do everything he can to put more money in the pocket of AEW. Tony Khan put over CM Punk. Says, no one has done more for this company than Punk. Says, Punk works extremely hard. Tony Khan says, quote, CM Punk is the biggest financial success story we've had. I guess. As far as final, final two matches do go. Exactly, Magma Lord. What was the point of the Wizard Fireball stuff if it didn't culminate in this match? If there wasn't a woof, fireball, I'm a wizard. 
I said that to my buddy that was here with me watching, and I said, Jericho keeps calling himself a wizard, and he's throwing fire in people's face, yet didn't do any of it tonight. What was the point over the last month? George, yes, Naito was out with an eye injury, but last time he was out with this same injury, he was only out for, what, a month or two? So there is the slight chance he could be ready in time if he's already had the surgery. I don't know if he has or not. If he already has or is just about to get it, he may be able to be back in time for Forbidden Door, but that might be cutting it close, and they just wait and keep him out of action till G1, but... We'll see if Naito can do it or not. I mean, and if we don't get Naito, Sonata and Bushi, Sonata and, and Takahashi, that would work too against some version of Los Cinco Bernabes against Los Cinco Bernabes de Japón. But then we had Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus defending the tag titles against Ricky Starks, Pyros Hobbs, Swerve Strickland and Keith Lee. I loved this match. This match was so good. Like this last quarter of the show, these last three matches or whatever, I loved them all. I thought they were all great in their own ways. So, this was, you know, under two in at once. This is the one thing I didn't like in this match. It was supposed to be two in at once. And you tag and this and that. But then it kind of broke down towards the end of ref didn't know who was legal, who was not. And so he just said, screw it. I'm going to let you guys do whatever you want. At one point, Jungle Boy landed to dive right away, and he and Luchasaurus hit a double-team elbow drop for a two. Hobbs and Swerve tagged in, and the big, man leveled, the big man leveled Swerve with a lariat. Lee and Swerve worked together to take out Hobbs. Jungle Boy tagged in and used a Hurricane Rana to send Swerve to the floor. He hit two suicide dives, but Keith Lee caught him on a third and powerbombed him onto Luchasaurus. Literally, like, lifting him up. Oh, powerbomb on Luchasaurus. Lifting him up. Another powerbomb on Luchasaurus. I'm like, oh man, that's the way to use a guy as a weapon. Hobbs tagged in, and he and Starks beat down Jungle Boy. Starks performed a rope walk, and Jungle Boy pulled down, pulled him down, and crotched him. I also enjoyed that these three teams. It was they were very similar in the fact of each team has got a you know, I guess you could say smaller, quick guy, and the big, a big powerhouse guy, but to the point of these big powerhouse guys also quick in their own right. Also can do some, some moves you aren't expecting from big power guys. But I love how these three teams all so evenly matched. The Jungle Boy tried to tag in Luchasaurus, but he was incapacitated, so Swerve was able to tag back in. Swerve took out Hobbs with a diving uppercut and dumped Starks onto Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus. Keith Lee assists to swerve on an Escalara moonsault off Lee's chest onto the three on the floor. Seen this before and it never gets old. Hobbs pop swerves up, but swerves turned it into a Hurricane Rana and his jumping thrust kick for a two. Luchasaurus tagged in and ran wild on everyone, taking out Team Taz with a double clothesline. The three big men then squared off and Luchasaurus went for a double choke slam, but Hobbs and Lee turned into a combo choke slam of their own. Lee dumped Hobbs to the floor and landed a Tobacco and Grio onto everyone. Like, holy crap. Keith Lee with just a tremendous flip dive over the top rope. Just fantastic. Luchasaurus powered up 
into something of a slam, and Lee kicked out on one. Luchasaurus and Lee traded strikes in the center of the ring when Hobbs took them both out. This led to Starks and Jungle Boy tagging in. Starks pinned Jungle Boy, but with his feet on the ropes. And Christian pushed them off, leading to Hobbs sending Christian into the seal steps. Christian, uh, Jungle Boy then took out Hobbs, but ran into a spear from Starks that looked amazing. Spears, or Starks, got a great spear. Really good spear. Starks hit a slingshot Rochambeau, but Luchasaurus barely, barely, barely broke up the pin at the last millisecond. Like, I thought it was over, and then all of a sudden, here comes big old Luchasaurus. Breaks it up. Hobbs hit a couple spine busters, but Swerve hit a pop-up stomp onto Hobbs. Luchasaurus inadvertently booted Jungle Boy and then was pounced by uh, Lee. Swerve and Lee hit a doomsday double stomp, but Hobbs broke up a pin attempt for another great near fall. St uh, Starks then hit Lee with the FTW Championship. Jungle Boy landed the thrust kick on Swerve. Starks wanted to use the belt again, but Christian dragged him out of the ring. Swerve rolled up Jungle Boy for a close near fall. Jungle Boy avoided the Swerve stomp and he and Luchasaurus hit the Thoratic Express to pick up the victory. Like I said, a lot of this chaos at the end where the ref just said, screw it, screw the rules. Everyone's legal. You can use belts and people can interfere. Only knock I have on this match is that the belt was used, Christian got involved, and at the end it was like, who's the legal man? Ref don't care, just whatever. Other than that, that was a great match. I thought this was a... Fantastic triple threat with three perfectly evenly matched teams. After the match, Christian jumped in the ring with the belts, gave them to the champs, and there we go. We then got a graphic that said that this Wednesday, Dynamite will be coming to us from the fabulous Kia Forum, Los Angeles, California, with huge matches to be announced. Then they said that Rampage is coming to us from the Toyota Arena in Ontario. And then they told us the first match for Dynamite is the Undisputed Elite, Adam Cole, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, Kyle Riley, and Bobby Fish taking on the team of Jungle Boy, Luchasaurus, Christian Cage, and Matt and Jeff Hardy. Then we go on to our main event that is just shy of 26 minutes. This match was great. This match, I think you might say, could be considered one of the best main events in AEW history. I don't think it's one of the best matches in AEW history, but as far as a main event world title match, one of the best. And I don't think that this match should have been any different than it was. I think it was booked perfectly. I think that the execution was great. The way the match ended was fantastic. I think everything in this match was damn near picture perfect. These two were perfect opponents for one another, and I don't think this could have been any better than it was. The crowd, crowd, the crowd possibly is what took this match over the top as well. Crowd was unbelievably perfect. So the bell rings. They slowly make their way to the center of the ring. They circle a little bit, and they go nose to nose. Punk then drove Paige into the ropes, and we got a deafening dueling. Let's go, Hangman CM Punk. Let's go, Hangman CM Punk chant. Traded overhead chops, 
and Punk pie-faced Paige with, a, uh, with his wrist tape as it got a little chippy. They traded shoulder blocks and then some chops. Paige landed a hard forearm smash and a stomp. Punk. Punk returned with some fiery chops of his own. There was a Russian leg sweep that got him a two. Punk maintained control until a diving crossbody was turned into a fall-away slam. Paige followed this up with the plancha to the floor. He drove Punk's face into the steel steps. Back in the ring, Paige posed, and it genuinely seemed to be like 50-50 cheers. They didn't know. The crowd didn't know who to be against, who to be for, who they loved, who they hated, who they wanted to win, who they didn't want to win. And one of the things that possibly makes this one of the best AEW world title matches on a pay-per-view yet is because this may have been, other than maybe that first title match between, again, Hangman Page and Jericho, the least predictable AEW world title match they've done. Most of the time, when you have the world title on the pay-per-view, it's very obvious who's going to win. But this one was so not because it was easily, this match easily could have gone either way. The page cut off a flurry of strikes and hit a discus elbow. He set up for a buckshot lariat, and the crowd was completely behind him here, but Punk exploded and set page, um, sent Page flying into the barricade. Page recovered and powerbombed Punk onto the corner of the apron. He followed it up with a diving clothesline for a two. On the top rope, Page teased an Orihara moonsault, but Punk stopped him and turned it into a superplex. Punk hit a dropkick, followed by a rising corner knee and the bulldog out of it. He kept up the offense with the springboard lariat. Punk wanted to go for the sharpshooter, but Page fought out. Punk was able to keep up his run, uh, his run with a swinging neckbreaker. Punk climbed the ropes, but Page pushed him off to the floor and finally landed that Orihara moonsault. Page set up for the buckshot, but Punk reversed it into a sharpshooter. Page crawled and eventually reached the ropes. Punk went for the buckshot, and Page went for the GTS, and they wrestled a little bit to a stalemate. They were then on the apron, where Punk hit a roundhouse kick and went for the buckshot. He hit it and got a two, but he absolutely stumbled on the attempt. It didn't look all too great, but that was all right. Punk then calls for the go to sleep, and Page countered out of it and caught Punk with a knee strike attempt. He hit a last ride powerbomb and the Deadeye for a great, great near fall. Page then mocked Punk's go to sleep pose and went for a GTS, but Punk fought out and hit a high kick. But Page fired up and did hit a GTS for a close near fall. They traded forearms from a kneeling position, but then stood up. Page clotheslined Punk over the top rope and they both spilled to the outside. He then tossed Punk over the timekeeper's table and grabbed the belt where the ref started yelling, don't do it, get him back in the ring, come on Paige, get him back in the ring, don't do it. Paige then yelled, this is mine, you'll never have it. As the ref's still saying, don't do it, come on, this, this is not how this needs to go, get him back in the ring, come on Paige, back in the ring. Paige set up for another buckshot, but Punk turned into a GTS attempt. During the attempt, Page's feet hit the referee and knocked him down for a ref bump where I go, okay, it wouldn't be an AEW world title match without a ref bump. Page then took out Punk with a lariat. With the referee down, Page considered using the belt as the weapon, and he's standing there. He's standing there. He's waiting for Punk to stand up, and he's like, he's pissed. He's ready. And then he doesn't do it. Picked it up. 
And he demanded Punk get it. Punk knelt and put his hands up. Barely, just, I'm vulnerable. You're going to hit me, hit me. And instead he drops the belt. He couldn't do it. You know, for the buckshot. Punk turns it into a GTS. Ref finally kind of scampers over. One, two, three. We have a new AEW World Champion. C.M. Punk. Now here's the thing. What Tony Khan say recently? This show might be booked around that NBA Finals game. If that game, if that goes to a game seven, which it did, Boston beat Miami. I think is what it was. Um, yes, Boston beat Miami 100, 196. They will now face the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors. Um. Here's the thing. Tony Khan said. You know, we might be booking around that basketball game where all the, the the big action good stuff is after the basketball game. And that's basically exactly what happened. The Anarchy in the Arena match went head-to-head with the basketball game. And then we had two tremendous matches after that, even though that match was really, really good as well. But it was really like everything against the basketball mat- game was kind of just cool, whatever. First half of this pay-per-view... Really seemed eh, there. So I don't like that Tony Khan was like, all right, so a lot of people are probably going to watch that basketball game. So we're just going to have a lot of filler stuff and stuff go long. So that way the stuff that we really want to be good can be after the basketball game. And that's why I think some of these matches that I said I felt long that needed didn't need to be long were purposely long to stretch out so we can get the bigger, more, as you say, entertaining matches, the better matches, more important-ish matches after that basketball game. That's why so many of these things went over 10 minutes. I mean, of the 13 matches, three, and we're counting the buy-in, went under 10 minutes. Everything else was 10 minutes or more. So, 10 and a half minutes or more. But I really felt like a lot of this was we're going to stretch all this out for time. So when that basketball game was over, now you're really going to get the good action. And I don't like that, but it's what Tony Khan did. And oh, we can't complain forever now. It, it, it happened. But with that, those are my thoughts. What I thought, AEW, double or nothing. I thought, you know, overall I had better, more good than bad, but it still did have, in my opinion, more not good than it should have, if we're being completely honest. But with that, you know what I thought of the show. Now it's time to hear what you guys thought of the show. Remember, you can put a super chat in the YouTube chat. You can text in to 510-906-1341. Again, that's 510-906-1341. But first, let's check the polls. Or as the Twitch poll does go, um, 75% of you liked the show. 25% thought it was just all right. As far as the, let's see. Twitter poll, 52% liked the show. 23% thought it was just all right. And 23% did not like the show. As far as the YouTube poll does go, 61% liked the show, 
31% thought it was just all right, and 8% did not like double or nothing. As far as the text messages, let's see how many do we have here. We have a couple, not many. It says, what are your thoughts on CM Punk being coming the, w, uh, the AEW world champion? I mean, I knew it was coming. We all knew it was coming. I feel like him and Paige, whoever was the champ, cool. To me, it doesn't really make a difference between one or the other. I did see something that was very not good for Paige. Someone tweeted out. I can't remember who it was now, but someone I saw tweet out. Punk's the new champion. It felt like the right time because it felt like Paige's reign ended. But here's the bad thing about that. If I'm not mistaken. Um, Paige had the second shortest reign of anybody that held that title. The five now champions. Because Jericho had the title for 182 days. Moxley 277. Omega 346. Hangman 197. And for Hangman... To have the belt for such a short time, technically, compared to, you know, Moxley and Omega, who really held this title for a long time. Someone saying, oh, I felt like Hangman's run was done. It felt like the end of when he should have dropped the belt. Kind of seems like, ooh. So you didn't think his run was as good as Mox or Omega. But that wasn't the only tweet where I saw perfect time to change the belt. It felt like it was, it was you know... I saw a couple tweets that basically said the gist of it felt like Hangman as the champion ran its course. And you never want to hear that of it ran its course. It felt like the time for it to be over. Because it was kind of just like, oh, okay. You were just wait, waiting for that right person to come to take the title off of him almost. Person says, who do you think? I hate these kinds of questions. Who do you think takes the title off of this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy? And this guy? Like, I don't know who all the next challenger is going to be. It's harder to predict that in AEW than any other company, especially coming right off the pay-per-view because they rarely hint anything early. We have no idea what's coming next for any of these champions because AEW does a good job of coming out of the pay-per-view. They very rarely hint what's next for their champions before Dynamite. And another one, who's the next challenger for Thunder Rosa? Who do you think beats Jade for the title? It's all the same stuff. But with that, that was AEW double or nothing. I want to say thank you guys for joining me here. Twitch.tv forward slash PWUnlimited. YouTube.com forward slash Pro Wrestling Unlimited. And Twitter.com forward slash PWUnlimited. Remember, we will be back live tomorrow morning for the wrestling wrap-up. Wrestling wrap-up, only going to be live on Twitch, twitch.tv forward slash Unlimited. And then as soon as we are done with the live stream on Twitch, it'll go immediately up on YouTube. So with that, guys, I want to say again, thank you for joining me here. Have a great night. Have a great rest of your weekend. A lot of you probably have a three-day weekend, maybe four-day weekend. Don't got to go to school or work tomorrow. So have a great one, and I'll see you next time.